South African Composer Archive. Uh, my next guest, you will know him as a composer of several chamber and concerto works such as his concertino for clarinet and chamber orchestra and the recent Wild Horses Don't Break for orchestra which was included at the Sao Paulo uh, Contemporary Composer Festival. You will know him as a founder of the Paz Consort of Capital Chamber Orchestra and the Capital Symphony Orchestra. You will know him as the winner of the 2010 Samuro Overseas Scholarship and the winner of the 2012 Stefan Scrofier National Competition for Composition. I have with me conductor and composer all the way via Skype, Keith Moss, who is currently in New Zealand. Thanks for having me. Well, let's jump straight into the questions. Who or what inspired you to music, to start a career in music? You know, you, I get asked that a lot of times, you know, especially from, you know, when I'm teaching. Yeah, I was a, I was a tiny little kid, man. I, and I just came home one day and I said to mum and dad, I want to learn to play the piano. And they said, okay. And they got me the books that I needed. And then I don't think they even met my piano teacher. And I just trundled off to my first class and I was kind of hooked after that. Do you come from a musical family or were you sort of the, the only one? I'm, so, I'm the only one, essentially. Um, I've got quite a lot of cousins and uh, none of them play, really. And um, I, we have some sort of suspicions. It's sort of like two generations back with my grandparents, right? Right. No one in my sort of immediate family plays anything. Right. You're, you're a cellist. Do you still play quite a bit? Uh, yeah, recently, sort of off and on in Auckland, I, I joined a little um, kind of like a chamber symphony uh, called the Wairua Symphonetta, and um, they're based in Auckland with a, a lovely conductor, and um, yeah, we do quite sort of adventurous programs, and yeah, it's, it's fun, but sort of that's the extent of my playing at the moment. So when you, you started, obviously, uh, as you say, when you were a kid, you did study composition formally. If I if I am correct on this, yeah, you're right. I, it happened a bit later on. So I I did a piano performance degree, and um, sort of towards the end of that, I just realized, ah, this isn't for me, right? right. I got a a friend of mine in my class in at uni. He was uh, he was getting married, and um, I said, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I wrote you like a little choral piece that we could do at the wedding? And that's kind of where it all started. So is that is that the first time you you tried composing, as it were? Yes, exactly. It was kind of like this first, like sort of formal exploration into putting notes down onto a page and 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 getting it performed at the same time. Right. Well, I mean, it, it's kind of <laughs> a, a wedding is a good place. You have a very captive audience. I mean, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and it's it's an it's an opportunity, you know. So like. It's nice work if you can get it, right? Yes, no, totally. So you studied composition at, uh, was it NNMU initially? No, I did. Uh, so I jumped off into a little bit later, about a, about a year or so later after doing my undergrad, then I did a master's at Rhodes University. And incidentally, it was with your dad. Your dad was my teacher. Right. Oh, yeah. of course, that's right. He was a, he so was a grandson. I Everything I know about composition, I learned from him. Right. It's funny. I I forget. <laughs> I forget that he was at Rhodes for a while before he went across to NNMU. But so you've you then. Uh, so with the the Samara Prize, did you end up using it to study overseas? Did you do the masterclass route? I w I did the masterclass route. I will tell you why. Because 
I applied to do another master's degree in in The Hague or Amsterdam. It was one of the two. I did a lot of applications into into the Netherlands. Right. And um, yeah, I mean, I think they had three seats open, but they had like 300 applicants. So um, there was sort of a slim to no chance of me getting in on that. And then in correspondence with Samro again, I, I told them, you know, what had been happening and they advised me that they thought the best thing to do would be to uh, set up a series of masterclasses overseas. And yeah, you're right. That's when I did that in, uh, in mostly in London. Yeah. I wonder, like, I don't know how much of that is my fault because I know that sort of when when I had it, I decided quite early on that I was going to do the masterclass route just purely as, like, while it, it is obviously quite a, a hunk of cash, at the time at any rate, and I'm not sure, I, from what I understand, the prize, is, the prize money has gone up a little bit, but it's is that sort of thing of, like, it barely covers, like, a year of tuition. Exactly. So... And that was my reasoning to go to um, to the Netherlands was because it, funny enough, covered it in total. Right. So if I had got in, it would have been it would have been cool. But but yeah, things worked out differently. I think. I mean, also part of it was that my experience. I, I'm not a huge fan of academia. I must be absolutely honest. Um, I didn't really have a great time uh, studying. So it was just that thing of like, I would far rather than like that, you can, you know, have a lesson with someone and then move on as opposed to like being stuck at a place where just like, oh, I have to be here so that I can get through this so that I can get the paper or whatever. But anyway, that probably says a lot more about me than anything else. So Well, I, I would have to say then uh, you did set a sort of a trend. I think where I think where it differs for composers and the rest of the winners in the Samurai competition is that a lot of the performers are already based overseas somewhere and um, they enter the samurai competition and then they basically use the the money to 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 carry on with where they're already at right. i think for composers it's completely different you know we we're, not all of us are lucky enough to be studying composition overseas right out the paddock from from your from undergraduate degree. yeah so you already mentioned that uh the first time you wrote something was for this wedding so other than that what was sort of like the first time anyone approached you and went hey i'd like you to to write something for me um let me think i think this this took quite a while of development because um i think i i think i i think i just completed my master's degree and i was still living in grahamstown and um, I decided to to jump onto the Fringe Festival at at the National Arts Festival. So I'm not quite answering your question at the moment, but <laughs> I, that would be, I suppose, the first time that I also decided to kind of like be present. You know what I mean? Just be somewhere doing something. And, so um, specifically for composition. Uh, yeah, and, and writing a new piece and 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 putting a concert together and getting onto the French Festival. I'd, I'd lived for so long in Grahamstown, but never actually participated in the in the National Arts Festival. And I thought, well, let's just take a chance and do something. And then um, when was the first sort of piece? I, I can't actually remember, Matthias. Um, <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back in my memory banks. Actually, <laughs> I mean that that's that's a good sign. If one can't remember, like I think of that as as talking to someone about this recently. There's that story where apparently Schubert was at a house party or something like that, and uh, someone started playing a song of his, and uh, his reaction was like, "Oh, that's very nice." Just sort of like had had completely forgotten like about the hundreds and hundreds that he had written. It's just like who wrote that? It's like that was um you. Gosh. Uh, yeah, no, it's... we should be so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we we spoke a little bit before I I hit record about an example of an older piece of yours, and you sent me a tree within. So it's actually what I just spoke about momentarily ago, which was the the National Arts Festival in Grahamstown. So um, I think that was two thousand nine, and uh, that piece comes. That piece I specifically wrote for that event on the French festival. What I've sent you is the second movement of a three-movement work for right. string sextets and English horn. The reason I used that sort of combo was because, A, I was a cellist, but not a good one. So if I do string sextet, it means I get to play the second cello part, which is the easier one traditionally. Right. <laughs> so for less practice. And yeah, I was just in Grandstown surrounded by a whole bunch of lovely string musicians. Um, at the time, Juan Munoz was uh, teaching violin in Grandstown. So he was the leader of the group. And then I just met um, Hilary Patterson. She's now Hilary yeah. Moore, and she played the oboe. And her her dad had gifted her a new core and glay. And she was like, well, include me and write something called English horn. And that's how the piece sort of got going. Thank you. 
Did you say what you're saying about the second cello part? Like, for years now, like, even before I started playing my stuff more regularly, uh, I would always kind of make sure that the second violin part was interesting just because I knew inevitably I'd end up playing it. So if, <laughs> if, if there are people who are interested in really interesting second violin parts for string quartets, let me know. <laughs> and if you're looking for really boring second cello parts in a string sextet, let me know. <laughs> right. <laughs> what is your process? How do you work? Yeah, I suppose I can only speak from a personal perspective, but it would <laughs> well, be... That's why I'm asking um... <laughs> Yeah, no. I've been lucky in a lot of in a lot of senses when eventually I did start getting people asking me to write pieces and getting involved in having new pieces done. But a lot of the time is anyway. In any event, whatever it's been, whether it's been for a commission or whether I've been writing a piece for my own use in a concert or something like that, um, it's got to sit in my head for a very long time before I actually put pen to paper. Unfortunately, I, I'm just not one of those kinds of people that sit for a very long time either at the piano or in front of your computer and punch a couple of notes in and see what happens. I, I think a lot about who I'm writing for, what are the instruments and what can they do and what could be different, what could be, you know, what could be nice. What have I heard before somebody else do that, that I could copy, you know what I mean, and right. uh, replicate or assimilate? Yeah, so the P, whatever I'm working on, whatever I'm writing on, kind of sits on the back burner for a long time. And, and the day that I decide to actually sit down and get it onto paper or rather onto the computer, and uh, it, it kind of just flows after that. But, uh, but it, it, it doesn't come naturally to me, if I can put it that way. How, then how do you, like, do you sketch it all? I mean, you say it doesn't come naturally. Is it a lot of sort of like problem solving kind of picking at something until it eventually happens does that make sense yeah so in the, in the early days i used to i was very harmonically inclined and used to maybe like map out some sort of harmonic language that i wanted to use in a piece but um nowadays it's less about that and more about possibly the aesthetic of the thing like you know how it's going to feel in the end or and you, i mean you know with writing usually you, you you set out on a on a journey to do one thing and it turns out to be something else and you're pretty pleased with it but um i sometimes i go to the piano a little bit and just the piano is really easy because it's it's great tool to just to just test an idea out very quickly but um i don't do it too often anymore i kind of just yeah, pick it out, I suppose, is what you'd say. It's just write one bar and see if you like it and see if it can take it somewhere. Right. Last night, it's funny, so I'm, I'm busy working on a, a trio and I I never do this, so I very, very rarely do this, where I was just, I was so tired, but I had a lot of ideas of, like, how I wanted to progress the piece. So this is where Sibelius' review thing comes in handy, and I literally just stuck like a sticky note on the score of like, this is what I want to do. Just so I don't forget. But like, I, I, I very, like, I usually just let it sort of happen. And like where I've, I follow, I let the music take me where it wants to go. Sometimes like herding it back in a direction where I, where I want it to be. But yeah. Um, yeah, but it's very, very rare for me just to kind of like give myself a little bit like uh, fuck is it that movie Memento or whatever where you t- tattooing yourself kind of you know it's like yeah. he, he was the killer kind of you know. <laughs> Funny enough, you say sticky notes. I suppose that's the best way to explain it. It's like I kind of put sticky notes in my brain, right? And um, 
but unfortunately this the brain sticky notes uh you know they don't last forever so the sticky notes that do stay that do stick you know yeah having, trying to excuse the pun um those are the ideas that i'll actually put down on paper in the end you know but i yeah, mean yeah. The, the ones that fade away and you forget about them they probably weren't good ideas to begin with it's know? that's 100 like i remember there's an interview i heard somewhere with i think paul mccartney talking about how he and john would work because neither of them could notate music they'd just sort of write down chords and the lyrics and there would be sometimes sort of especially near the beginning where the next day neither of them could remember the tune and they were like okay no fuck it clearly not not worth remembering um, exactly so yeah um so as as i remember um, as, as as just on that same topic i remember um I think it was one of the pieces that I was uh, writing in for the Samurai competition in 2010 and Peter Klatsar was looking at the pieces and he wrote back to me saying, yes, Keith, you need to write more memorable tunes. <laughs> no pressure. I mean, <laughs> fuck. Um, speaking of, who or what would you consider to be a, uh, a big influence of your music? Uh, you know... Without being bashful or, you know, blowing smoke anywhere, um, your your dad Peter Louis was um really a big in. You not only because he was my composition teacher. You must understand, before your dad taught me officially at the university, I had been playing in the Eastern Cape Philharmonic Orchestra for many years, right. and he had been conducting for many years, and he brought to the orchestra just. I, I don't know what he just I remember when I was still a student and we had done a concert um I don't want to name too many names in this interview for fear of getting into trouble but um someone said to me you know your Peter Louis brings something out of the he brings this magical sound out of the orchestra that that few other conductors did during the time that I was playing for them and it's obviously a lot to do with your dad's humor and when I say humor I mean you know he's not just the sense of humor but his personality and his uh, kindness and and then of course we got we got a lot of chance to actually play his music as well so i always got the less the lesson of composition was always from both sides of the of the piece of paper on the one side it was of course writing music but on the other side was actually playing it and actually um you know the practicalities of actually writing a piece of music and seeing what happens when you know people have to sit on the same stage and actually do it yes it is yeah. I, i mean that is such an important thing of i don't know it it's that kind of i because of that i I've, i've played in quite a few orchestras I like a lot of time in cpo uct blah, blah 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 chamber music stuff like that you end up absorbing or it's kind of been a, a lucky position to be in where I think I have a pretty good idea of how a, quite a lot of composers put their stuff together. And I mean, specifically <clears throat> sort of like South African composers. Um, whereas I suppose like, you know, if, if you are a pianist or something like that, uh, oh, I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of like piano, pianistic music by those composers, but you get a, a much broader idea of sort of orchestration and stuff like that. Obviously, if if you're in like a larger ensemble than say one person at a keyboard. And further to that, you know, playing even in a very small orchestra, even a small orchestra has a very big sound, right? And yeah. your perspective of that 
on the stage. And this is what I learned the most about going to London and, and spending time in the UK and listening to a lot of orchestras. I, I mean, I did London Symphony Orchestra. I did the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. I, I did the Halle Orchestra. I did plenty of them and yeah. plenty of concerts. And the biggest lesson that I learned from the whole thing, it sounded nothing like it does when you're sitting in the group and playing yourself as well. The volume, and I would say that the decibels were way less in the audience than what I thought people were, pers you know, what, what I thought they were actually hearing. I thought they must have heard it at like super loud volumes, but in, 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 in actual fact, there, were, there was a full orchestra on stage of like 90 players and it's it's not as loud as what I thought it was going to be. And right. those were some of the biggest lessons I learned about like, oh, this is why orchest learning orchestration is so important because there's so much room for error. So how would you describe your current style? Do you think it's developed since when you've started? Yeah, uh, for certain. Um, I mean, you know, as you go along and you meet a lot of people and, and you come into contact with people who've listened to your music or played it or something like that, or, or teachers that are way more knowledgeable than you are or other composers that have written, you know, a thousand times more pieces than you have, you've, you've got to roll with their criticisms as well. And I've been really fortunate in, in that I think composers in general are nice people and they say nice things. One of the, one of the criticisms I got was that my my music needed to be more rhythmically interesting and so something that's something i kind of like took to heart and um and and really tried to work on so um i would say now my music looks at rhythm in a more um i suppose inventive kind of way not inventive but just more interesting kind of way that it's not not too square you know what i mean right right i suppose that would be one of the biggest areas that i've grown but it's it's funny it's, uh, how, how long have i been writing now i suppose say since 2005 so how many years is that now i mean that, that's not a lot just look at the calendar it's 14 years. years or something yeah no but i would you know even looking back on a piece from years and from years ago from the early days and looking at a piece now you know the style hasn't changed all that much you know i think um yeah in brazil i went to i, I had there were some interesting talks there at, at the sao paulo contemporary festival and um an a lecturer from the states a musicologist was talking about you know style and aesthetics and um he was basically he basically said you know once you've written your piece of music you're done after that it's done and it's right. tickets um you know it's set in stone now and there's you know that's who you are you know there's there's very rare cases of composers that actually like, can break out of the mold that they created for themselves you know like stravinsky is a good example of someone who kind of changed styles you know every 10 years or so but i mean you've you've, you've got to make a big big changes and something quite drastic and you know he was a genius but i mean um versus the plebs like me <laughs> It's going to be hard to redefine myself, you know, compositionally from what I was 10 years ago. Speaking of of, uh, of recent works, you mentioned the concertino for clarinet and chamber orchestra. Uh, oh, that was, that was a lovely opportunity. Was this, if I remember correctly, there was a commission that we had both sort of gotten around the same time and or similar people had applied for it and then somehow i ended up getting this one and you got another one and you phoned me and you're like please can we swap was this the piece oh no this wasn't and uh, uh -oh. no this wasn't the piece okay um oh wait was it no it was. i want to oh, say yes, it could have been i want to yeah. say it was 
It wasn't oh, like... Oh, yes, it was. I, I had been in dialogue with the, the University of the Free State, and they were starting a, a clarinet festival. Right. And uh, they asked if I'd write the the competition piece. So all, okay. the, partici- all the clarinet participants had to... Uh, the prescribed piece. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. And this was the prescribed piece, and the winner would, would actually play it in a performance. Unfortunately, at the time, uh, the universities, all the universities in the country were having the, the pro- student protests. Right. And um, that made life very difficult for the university at the time to get the participants that they wanted. In any case, it, uh, it's, it's gone on to be performed a few times by various different people and championed by the, the OSM Camarata. Is this them playing and, on on the on the recording? That's right. And uh, Dan Ray Stradom, who's the who's the clarinet lecturer at the university, is is playing the solo. But yes, you're right. And um, something happened where you know the thing is with the with the summer commissions is that you almost have to beg you have to beg performers to just fill in the form to get you to get you a commission. Right. So. The, I mean, the money is there, and Samra is really, really happy and willing to to commission new works from from South African composers. But I don't think performer. I think I think performers just really just don't know the process of how to go about applying for funding to commission new works from composers. So I kind of held the hand of a few people and said, "Well, all you have to do is sign on the dotted line." <laughs> And um, and it was helpful because and then you because you got a commission out of it at the same time, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's happened to the piece, but it, it was. I just remember it was kind of like, oh, that's cool. I can I can do this. <laughs> it's <just> like <laughs> getting an email. It's like, no, stop, <laughs> please. Can I? <laughs> but, yeah. Well, thank you for obliging. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I was quite quite happy to. <laughs> but yeah.
So this is this is always the, 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 the trickiest question. How do you survive as a composer? How do you make a living? You know, I've always had a day job in inverted commas. And um, I, I was a teacher for a long time. And after winning the summer competition, then I decided in that year to move to Pretoria and join my family there. And uh, once I got to Pretoria, that was the first time I felt that it was a good time to try freelancing and just 
really get out of teaching and go on it on my own really and those were good years they, they was really fun but they were they were stressful at the same time and I learned a lot about you know about musicians and what they want and and how to work with them and and learned about what I wanted from life as well I suppose but um you know in the end it becomes it becomes a bit hard it became a bit hard for me and I, I gave that up and sort of went back into teaching again and um yeah, I think I think as, a, as a, I, I'm less uh, I'm less concerned now these days with you know being famous or whatever I don't know whatever whatever sort of starry eyed you know ideas I had in my head I think I'm older now and those are long gone so right. for me just to have a piece performed is is great. This uh, was was this uh, around the time that you founded uh, Paz Consorts, the Pretoria Days, if I remember correctly. Or actually, no, it was uh, the the piece we discussed earlier, A Tree Within. I founded the Paz Consort then in two thousand and nine for the Grand Sun Festival because I realised, oh jeepers, I'm actually going to have to have, you know be advertising some sort of ensemble that's going to be playing this piece. And yeah, Paz Consort started then already. But I remember yeah. the... in Pretoria, yeah, we did lots of concerts and. Um, of course, your some of your pieces were included as well. I remember there was the the, the choral work when I was chatting to uh, to Franco. He reminded me of that one. Um, I don't think I had something done on that, but there was definitely there was the harp and uh, voice concert, and there was still also, one of my favorite pieces, honestly. Which ones? Your piece, the for harp and and soprano, oh, was you. such a great piece. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, there was that, and I remember there was also a, a really cool project that you did uh, with the, the photos of, of people who had died in the Holocaust. Sort of very, oh, yeah. very interesting projects, or like, it was an interesting time, I remember, on, on that level, sort of seeing what was going on up in, in Pretoria. The, the Capital Chamber Orchestra, was that something that you'd started up there at that time as well? Or am I thinking That's of the right. orchestra in PE? It was in Pretoria days, but that happened because... In the year 2014, I became involved with an initiative uh, called the Cool Capital Biennale. And it was a guerrilla-run festival, a city-wide festival that the organizers really wanted it to be publicly driven. So that you could, you know, if you wanted to, if you wanted to set up a concert on a street corner on such and such a day during the festival, you could do it. How I was involved was on the music side with helping people who didn't know how to get their band on the street corner at such and such a time. Basically, I helped to sort of coordinate that, really. And then at the same time, I was like, oh, well, this, this could be a great opportunity to start something because Johannesburg does very well with with ensembles, particularly the Johannesburg Philharmonic Orchestra. But there was no sort of like stable chamber orchestra in Pretoria at the time, and that's uh, that's why I initiated that project. Yeah, was this because I remember at the time hearing uh, through Sarah, you had all these various plans of sort of ways to kind of keep uh, to to get audiences to come. So yeah, I mean, I remember sort of one of the the things was sort of like that you'd have obviously the performers within the group their payment would be kind of a way of like you'd have to sell tickets that that was how you would earn is by getting an audience the other i think i'm not sure if it was with this was where you could sponsor someone in the orchestra if that makes sense yeah so um the first idea that you just mentioned in the end i realized 
it wasn't such a good idea because it, it became unfair to ask the musicians to perform as well as work at selling their own tickets, you know what I mean? Right. So it's, it seemed a bit unethical as that idea developed further. But the sponsor, we called it Sponsor a Chair. And um, that I think that could have been... I, I, we never implemented it, but I think for a chamber music ensemble, something like a string quartet or a, something a little bit bigger, I think that that idea could be great, which is to say you go to a person, you know, because I think I think donors are pretty much daunted by the fact when you, you say to them, look, the orchestra's going down the drain and we need to save them, you know, can you give us a large sum of money? And donors are skeptical maybe about all kinds of things and... But we, the rationale was go to a member of the public and say to them, you don't have to sponsor the whole orchestra because that's a ton of money. How about you just sponsor a player, one of the performers? And uh, yeah, if you, if you did that enough times, um, if you went to enough people, yeah, of course you could find more than enough money to sponsor a whole orchestra. I'd be curious to see that idea put into practice. I, I think of it often, I must be honest, that and, and the sell your own tickets kind of thing i mean i don't know i i understand the the thing of that as a performer you've got enough shit to worry about than you know having someone having an audience but i think sometimes performers are quite easy and some composers as well are very easy to kind of go like oh cool something of mine is being done I wash my hands and let's see it. It's like, there was no, there, there were no people there. Why did no one come? It's like, well, it could have helped if you tried yes. to promote your own performance. Um, yes. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be cur- just as curious to see if that, that could go in, in work and practice. And the thing is, that's what, I, that's what I was trying to intimate earlier to you, which, which is all the starry-eyed things that I had in my head are kind of gone now. I mean, I'm a little bit older and been through a few things and understand things a little differently now. And, um, you know... I, I'm not John Adams and I'm not Steve Reich and I'm not, you know, Esa Pekasalanen, you know, and these people just like get sold out performances all the time. But they've got massive advertising budgets behind those orchestras and behind those musicians and, you know, all kinds of things. And um, I, th- I think if you're just a regular Joe Soap who, who wants to enjoy a career in music making and enjoy a career in composition, you need to be practical and... Um, yeah, put some effort in. Yes. <laughs> if you want people to come listen to your music, you, you need to at, at least create a Facebook page, for even sake. It, it is a little bit like, as an audience member, like, I'm sorry if as a performer you're not that excited about the concert, why the hell should I go as, as an audience member? Exactly. So speaking of, of various performances, what is your favorite performance memory? Unfortunately, I wasn't present. I was, I'd already been living in New Zealand when the clarinet uh, concertino had been performed. Uh, I would have loved to be there for that one. But I would say to you, a piece that I wrote for the Composers National Collegium, I think that was in 2015. The composers were invited to Stellenbosch for an ensemble there, and the piece is called I Am Who I Am. And uh, I would have to say that that's one of my favorite performances of a piece of mine. And I take it out every now and again and listen to it because I think, you know, when you write a piece of music, sometimes you, you might fluff a little bit here or there and, and, and you, you should, you know, you should be honest with yourself and say, well, you know, those, those notes that I wrote there are not really me. Right. And I'd have to say, I am who I am. There's 
a lot of it is me, and um, I'm I'm pretty proud of that one. I mean, I mean, like with with a title like that, one would one would hope that it represents <laughs> sort of who you are as a composer. Was, I, during rehearsals, it was a bit funny because the conductor who was doing it couldn't help singing, "I am who I am." Uh, Gloria Gaynor. <laughs> right. right. So, I mean... But in a serious note, it's, uh, it's an Old Testament verse from um, Exodus. Yeah, it, it's so if I, if I understand correctly, it, it's for singer strings and percussion. There's no... I can't remember any woodwinds or anything like that in it. Yes, it's actually just a string quartet. So um, I, was, I, was, I was really happy with the way that it turned out because the strings sound much bigger than the ensemble that's actually playing. Yes. I've been in enamored with Moses from I met a I met a wonderful guy a few years ago. He played bassoon in the in the Eastern Cape Philharmonic Orchestra and he was a friend of Sarah's and mine and Sarah worked with him in the on the project teaching teaching underprivileged children to play music. And um, he had such an what's the word, like elucidic way of, of illustrating the Bible and um, he told me this a particular a particular incident that Moses experiences, and I, I won't go into detail about it. But ever since then, I've I've become kind of been enamored with the Exodus book, right. and um, I've been wanting to write a big orchestral work for a very long time based on a particular part of that. But when this festival came around, or when this opportunity came around to write for the the CNC. I thought, okay, well, let me do the, the burning bush scene from Exodus. And um, it took me ages to figure out how the hell I was going to get through the whole chapter because it's so much text, right? Yes. And, and, and we had a time limit on the, on the, on the piece itself. I, you know, it's just one of those things eventually it just clicks and I realized, hang on, if the singer narrated the text that Moses speaks and sings the God part, then that's going to get me through the text a lot faster instead of singing all of the text, rather just narrate some of it. Right. Um, yeah, I was pretty, pretty happy with the way that it turned out. That, that is, that's a very effective way of writing, I think. Just sort of that, especially as you have one person representing multiple people. That's just a, a very, like, it's a very practical but good way of doing it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna save on bucks in the future, you know. You don't, you don't need one person to do it. Right. Um, I suppose, yeah. In addition, the the this, the the soprano Jolene, she had just got back from Vienna, from I think living for a very long time in Vienna. I was speaking with the top of my head, but I think she was there for about eight years or so, doing opera and 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 singing. And um, you know, she did me such a great courtesy in that piece because she the rehearsals were fine and there was nothing wrong in the rehearsals and when the performance came around she had memorized all of that text as well as of course her part and i can't thank her enough for just being so incredibly professional about it that is sort of going going the extra mile it's not it is pretty rare i think when when you see especially sort of new music being done from memory Definitely in the circles that that I that I keep. So- I mean, I've got nothing against anyone who who reads from a music stand, honestly, because I, yeah, I've memorized very very little in my playing, um, and and totally happy with people to to read from a score when they're performing. Um, yeah, especially something that's not familiar to you. But I mean, yeah. when she she walked onto that stage without anything and just did the whole performance, I was flabbergasted. She was. It wasn't only my piece, of course, that she. Before she did it, all the pieces in which she participated, she memorized it. So 
a wonderful lady to to watch her career um, unfold at the moment. She's doing great things in the Western Cape at the moment. Moses was pasturing the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law, the chief of Midian. And he led the flocks after the free pasture land, and he came to the mountain of God to Horeb. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from within the thorn bush. And behold, the thorn bush was burning with fire, but the thorn bush was not being consumed. Moses said, let me turn now and see this great spectacle. Why does the thorn bush not burn up? The Lord saw that he had turned to see, and God called to him from within the thorn bush, and he said,
Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should take the children of Israel out of Egypt? And Moses said to God, Behold, I come to the children of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them?
what is the best advice that you've ever received from a teacher or a mentor? You know, it was your dad actually. He was he he gave me a he gave me a lesson, and um, he said to me, "You've got to know where the piece is going. It's got to have some sort of direction." I've always thought about that. In fact, it, it influenced me so much that often I will always write the ends of my pieces first and um, write the beginnings later, just so that I know exactly what the end is going to be, so that I know exactly where I'm going. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, but I mean. You know, of course, it's it's a simple statement that he that he he said, but it's it's packed full of implications. You know what I mean? So knowing where you're going with the piece is knowing everything about it, setting up the pace right at the beginning. Um, and I'm I'm not talking about the tempo now. I'm literally just talking about you know how the how the how fast is this thing going to unfold? You know, yes. are, are we going to get it all right in the beginning in the first four measures or or are you going to take half an hour to extrapolate, you know, where are the climaxes going to be? What's it going towards? What's it going to go away from, you know? Right. Um, I suppose, yeah, these are the things that I think about the most before I even start writing. When I think about a piece of music, that I'm, a new thing that's going to be happening is, yeah, all the things that are implicit with that statement. There, there's currently a work that I'm I'm doing, not the trio, another one, but it, it's this thing of that... While I was working on it, I had so many ideas of a very specific, exact, like, very specific ideas of what I wanted to include in the piece. And I finished it about a month ago. I uh, have yet to send it to the performer because somehow through all of it, I ended up not doing any of the things that I wanted to do with it. And it, it's just now the, the piece bugs me quite a bit. It's just this thing of like having to to give it a, a, a gap and then go back and go, okay, no, I still have these ideas of what I want to do. How can I make this work? Um, and often um, just feathering in one of those ideas is satisfying in itself. Um, sometimes you get lucky and you just you don't have to toss the whole piece away to 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 go back to the drawing board you know yeah. you can still work with what you've got the the frustration with that piece at the moment is that while there isn't really a time limit for it i've set myself a time limit um well just sort of like a length of the piece limit but the the frustration then at the moment any rate is the only solution that i have for it is that certain sections need to be longer it's just like you're solving the wrong problem like we need to <laughs> figure out but um so what would you suggest for an aspiring composer or for the uh, south african new music scene as a whole you know, practical musicians, you know, they, they get it a lot easier than composers because there's, a, you know, obviously a, an entire world of music out there that a pianist can choose from or a violinist can choose from to form their repertoire for their performing career. For a composer, it's different. He's the guy or girl who's going to be creating something completely new. The hassle with that is if you don't actually sit down and try and do it, you're going to have nothing. You know, I mean, so my advice, yeah, my, I suppose my advice to any composers, you, you, you know, it's just like anything else as well. It's like practicing the piano. You, you've got to practice at composition as well. You've, you've got to do a little bit of it. And, and I'm really bad at this. I, I don't take my own advice, but you've got to do a little bit of it every day. You know, just to keep that. It's a different part of your brain, I think, that you're using compared to playing the piano, playing the violin, 
or conducting or something like that you you it's 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 a different muscle that you've got to exercise so if you're not doing it every day it's it's always going to be difficult i can't remember if i've actually said this before in any of the interviews but there is a who was it now recently there was an author i saw who i follow on twitter i can't remember exactly who it was but i think it was her philosophy was that it's easier to to edit if there's something on the page um uh-huh. which it, it's just that whole like whatever you do just write like put it out there you can easily go back and and fix but if you don't put something on the page then there's nothing there for you to edit um, exactly so yeah i think along those lines are just like just write just do like yesterday i mean when i was working on this trio I genuinely had no idea where I was going to go with the piece. I had done a nice sort of healthy four minutes and I was just like, well, either I can keep trying to push this one idea or do I link to something else? And it took me a couple of hours and sort of shooting back and forth between YouTube videos and eventually just like, oh, for fuck's sake, I need to actually write to eventually kind of go like, ah, ah, okay, cool. Now I have an idea. And by that point, I was so tired. I did the sticky notes, but it is just that thing of like, well, I, I just something on the page to work from. Yeah. Even if you don't like it, at least, at least tomorrow morning, you can say whatever I did. I don't like it. Let's try something else. Yes. Anyway, I, as I said to you, I'm guilty of not taking my own advice, and um, and it's it's partly part of my process that for me it's the writing bit is happening in my head, and I and I don't mean in a genius Shostakovich kind of way who said you know if if it's not all down in your head, don't even bother putting it on the paper yet. You know what yes. I mean? I'm, I'm certainly nowhere in that league, but what I mean to say is that if I'm not writing music, I'm still thinking about it at least. So you just sort of got your brain got your brain focused in that direction at least that, yeah. that it's true are they like i, I know I, i've mentioned this before but the, the thing of like the the goldberg piece where i spent months thinking about it and eventually like wrote it in about a month and a half admittedly i was quite sick at the time so like i didn't have anywhere to go but it was just this thing of like just pouring it all out and like they they were it was quite satisfying that there were sort of several moments which I'd had sort of building in my head for a while where I could go, right, there it is, finally, slot that puzzle piece in. Okay, this is what I've been wanting to do for a while, kind of. But yeah. But you see, the, 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 the flip side of all of this is if you don't do it, uh, you miss out on a lot of opportunities as well. For example, I had been wanting to enter the Takamitsu Award in Japan for since I can remember. Well, yeah, since I started writing music, I, I decided I wanted to enter that competition. It was for full orchestra. It was a big prize, yada, 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 yada. Last year, I decided this is the year I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm ready. I'm doing it. Right. And guess what? I was too old. I didn't know there was a cutoff date oh, for the shit. age. And that opportunity has gone now. It's gone forever. Oh, um, shit. Not to say that I would have won, but the opportunity just to have written and entered a piece into the competition. Right, right. Um, it's gone. So, um, you know, procrastinating too much has serious negative effects on your career. You know, if this is really what you want to do with your life. So, I, I, I read, I, I'm sure you've read that book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. 
No, I haven't. Uh, I don't read Malcolm Gladwell anymore because my my ideas about how he writes and puts together books I don't agree with anymore. But at the time of reading it, I thought it was really inspirational, and particularly that book. I still find it quite inspirational. And there's a chapter in there about Bill Gates and how he, as a kid, you know, he would program and program and program. And the in these the days that he was doing this was when programming meant punching holes into a card. Yes, and um, taking it to a supercomputer that could interpret all that information and um, it would spit out the card that didn't make sense and they would have to go back to the drawing board again. Anyway, the point being is that so much practice and so much preparation meant that when an opportunity did come his way, he was in a position to seize it and use it. And um, yeah, so if, if, you're not, if you're not sort of, yeah, if you're not uh, writing... Yeah, if you're not thinking about music or, or or involved in it in some sort of way, I would say to young composers, you're you're not being prepared. You're not preparing yourself for when somebody does come along and say, "Hey, would you like to write a new piece of music for me?" Because they're unlikely to ask someone who's not writing anything. Yeah, completely. So those are the questions that I ask everybody. Um, what I like doing at the end is that if people in the audience, uh, as it were, the collective audience out there, have a question for uh, any composer, something that they've always wanted to ask, uh, that they can send me their questions either on Twitter at BatComposer or on Instagram or on Facebook. Um, but anyway, the point is that uh, one of the questions that I got is... And I think this ties in a lot to to the stuff that you do, um, such as with Past Consort and these various ensembles. How can an ordinary person, just, you know, any audience member, best support emerging composers? Wow, that's a lovely question. I suppose one has to first ask yourself, what is an emerging composer versus a composer, right? Because I... (laughs) You know, I've been writing for a while and I wondered to myself, am I still emerging? Am I still coming out of from my cocoon stage? Well, emerging um, is in air quotes in this question, I will say that. But I, it's funny that... But you, you know s- what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, of course. Uh, I, 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 when I think of an emerging composer, obviously I think of a nice uh, young person who's coming out of university or something like that. Yeah, and uh, certainly they need all the uh, support they can get. But uh, um, I would also say that all composers need all the support they can get as well, right? Yeah. But um, an ordinary person... Well, just like an, uh, a concert goer, let's say. Or... Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, exactly. A concert goer needs... Just patch up, you know, just patch up. Um, buy a ticket. You, you know, there's, there's so many things in... I think there's so many things in life that people spend money on and don't even know where that money is going to or what it's funneling into, right? And regarding, yeah, especially like post-concert, when I did post-concert for so many years, you know, when people bought tickets to our concerts, it went directly to us. You know, there wasn't, it didn't go to the man. Right. You know, it it went to paying for, for the musicians to perform the work and paying for the venue and paying for all the things that, that, you can't see and um you know i think people are just so happy to just spend money on things that um and and they they really can't see you know how the money trickles down to 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 you know where, where whatever they put it into but i think you know if an ordinary person just buys a ticket to go to a concert you they can be safe in the knowledge that 
the money stops there, right on the stage for the person playing the piece. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There was... it, it doesn't go further than that. It doesn't go. It doesn't like get divided fifty thousand times to to various whatever it might be the director and the corporation and the venue and the this and the that and yeah. There was there was a lovely list I I shared on Facebook recently, which had some lovely suggestions along these lines. Which is, it's silly things like, if you're going to go to a concert, invite your friends. It's, even if they, you know, if, if you think it's worth checking out, if you think it's cool, if you're supporting something or someone that you like, then your friends might like it too. If it's something, like with new music, it's obviously, it gets a little bit trickier because I know there are people like, oh, new music is scary. Um, but it, it it's just that thing of like, no, no, trust me, t- I'll take your hand, I'll, I'll, we can do this together. If you have questions, before, after, whatever, like, you know, that that's one, one way of doing it. And another thing that one can do is just share the event, put it, put it up online. If even, it, like, if you can't go yourself, maybe someone else can, you know, it's exactly. little things like that. But you know, it's kind of, but, uh, you know, sort of coming back to what we were chatting to about earlier, you know, what can an ordinary person do to support a composer? You know, it's like, you know, if the composer is a little bit proactive and actually getting their music out there, he, he's, he's paying a musician to play it at some point, right? Yeah. Support the musician, you know, uh, you know, sponsor the chair, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Funny that you, you asked me about these little ideas because you had a wonderful idea a few years ago and I, I, I can't remember if, if you went ahead with it, which was perform the new music in venues that people ordinarily love to go to. So yeah. instead, of a stuffy, instead of a stuffy old concert hall with an uh, old lady with purple hair sitting next to you, yes. um, do it in a pub. Yeah, no, we we did we did do quite a, a bit of that. Still trying to to figure a way to crack that nut, but yeah, no, it, but it is just that, that that thing of like yeah, try trying to to play in venues where I I don't like going to concert halls. I I'm not a fan. Like I I will occasionally still go to one, but there there's a certain vibe to it which I I'm not nuts about. And yeah, I think there, there's a lot more interesting things. Uh, sorry, shrug. A lot more interesting things happening outside of like the traditional concert venues. I'm not saying that there isn't one, stuff that's one, happening. One, one where I was inspired a lot by is um, I just can't remember the name off the top of my head right now, but there it's an orchestra in London that plays in a in a car park in Peckham in a banked car park. But right. when I say ba- when I say car park, I mean uh, oh, they're called the, that's what it is. They're called the multi level orchestra okay and they play in a multi-level car park in other words you know what i'm talking about like a basement park yeah yeah. so they attract massive audiences but they play fantastically varied programs from something like beethoven 3 all the way up to john adams harmony lira right right and they're not dressed in tuxedos it's just they're dressed in whatever's comfortable uh, you know, I played a gig this weekend. In a, you asked me about playing, and I actually did a string quartet gig, and I actually played in a Belgian pub here in Auckland. Right, right. It, it's one of these weird weekends. It was a quiet weekend, and the pub owner was like, "We never thought we'd been asking this, but you know, would your quartet like to come and play?" And uh, I was wondering, what the hell are we going to wear? 
you know, something <laughs> stupid like that. And I realized, you know, it's so easy to alienate your audience just by what the clothes that you put on, right? Yeah, completely. So I was just thinking, you know, this, this, this multi-level orchestra, for example, they're great. They're just, musicians are mostly wearing jeans and just whatever they feel comfortable in playing. And, and they're, the people listening to them are just non-classical music goers. But they go now for the experience, which is completely different from a concert hall experience. I, I mean, I know, and like, they, so I, I, they can relate to the musicians. Yeah, no, I, like, I mean, I know, um, I know, I generally dress like a ten-year-old boy, but there was a a concert that we did and uh, with the Shot Ensemble. And uh, a lady came up to me afterwards and she was like, do you mind if I, I just take a photograph of you holding your violin? And I was <laughs> like, I'm sure, like, I don't know for what, but she's like, no. So I, at the time I was wearing a Minecraft t-shirt and mm-hmm. she was like, no, I have a son who has, who loves Minecraft, has started off with, uh, started off learning the violin and I just wanted to sort of show him, like, you know, look, pe- people can do this. Like, you can, like, combine both worlds or whatever. Like, it's it's okay yeah. to like video games and classical music, you know. It's... Yeah. But, um, yeah. If you had stuff coming up that you'd like to, to punt or promote, firstly, do you have anything you'd like to punt at the moment? Secondly, if not, where's best that they can... Uh, if people wanted to follow what you do how how it's how is it best for them to go about that so recently i finished a a small little commission for a high school year in auckland it's a wind band piece now i'll tell you it's possibly the only the second wind band piece i've ever written in my life and it turned out to be quite a cute little piece honestly it's nothing academic or um difficult to listen to it was really for the kids and um I expanded it because being a high school orchestra, they don't have all the instruments. So I actually just expanded it to include everything that a concert band does. And right. um, Pamela Kierman of Windworks will be performing it in the Western Cape somewhere, either in Stellenbosch or in Cape Town. I'm not sure where, where Windworks actually performs. I don't know where they're based. I think they're Cape Town. I think I, I, I they're Cape wrong. Town. So I yeah, think I think Cape it's Town. getting a South African premiere pretty soon. And, um, yeah, I met some lovely other musicians the other, other day and we got chatting and um, this uh, French horn player slash conductor has taken on the piece as well. And he told me last week they've already rehearsed it and they love the piece and they're going to be doing it quite soon. So um, if anyone's in New Zealand, Auckland, you're welcome to come listen to it here as well. Awesome. And if people <laughs> want to, to follow stuff of yours coming up, where best can they follow that? Yeah, I must, I've got I've got a new website. Um, it's really easy. It's just my name, KeithMoss.org. Okay. And uh, my yeah, my newsfeed um, my newsfeed will have um, upcoming events and stuff like that coming up. I'm quite excited. I'm busy writing a piece for Matthew Lombard. He's a saxophonist from from the Gauteng area. And Matthew has been spearheading a saxophone symposium every year. I don't know how long it's been going for, but it's been going for a good time now. And um, this year, 2019, he is hosting the symposium in Stellenbosch this year. And um, I'm going to be writing a concerto for him, but not for orchestra, but for 
saxophone and wind instruments, but not a full not a full wind setup, just the orchestral wind setup. Sweet. So that's 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 going to be quite fun. And watch this space because in 2020, I'm hoping to start a new music festival in Stellenbosch. Okay. Yeah, that'll be a full-blown um, international festival for for any composer from around the world to apply to enter an orchestral work and it'll be performed for a live audience and recorded and there'll be guest lecturers and guest performers so i think it's going to be pretty cool um so we're we're still in the very early stages of talks now but uh things are looking good and um this festival will join a series of festivals that are already happening around the world including the one that i went to which was the sao paulo contemporary composers so this festival in Stellenbosch will be, you know, it'll join join the conglomerates of those festivals. Awesome. This... I mean, I think it's important South African people get to, get to, I mean, we've got a lot to offer, you know, which is why I'd like to host the festival, for example, in South Africa. Yeah. I could have done it here in New Zealand, but I mean, you know, South Africans have got lots to give and um, yeah, we're nice people and um, we've, got, we've got lots to show the world still, I think. Definitely.